Good morning, City Church. This is City Church Together for Tuesday, September 15th. Today, uh, we are going to be back in our regular rhythm of meditating on Scripture. Um, And today, we're going to go to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapter 8, specifically in verse 16, verse 16. Um, I'm going to, uh, for some context, I'm going to read... um, from chapter 8, um, starting in verse 8. 8, starting in verse 8, we'll read down through 16. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Appeal to the Lord to remove the frogs from me and my people. Then I will let the people go, and they can sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, You may have the honor of choosing when I should appeal on behalf of you, your officials and your people, that the frogs be taken away from you and your houses and remain only in the Nile. Tomorrow, he answered. Moses replied, as you have said, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will go away from you, your houses, your officials and your people. The frogs will remain only in the Nile. After Moses And Aaron went out from Pharaoh. Moses cried out to the Lord for help concerning the frogs that he had brought against Pharaoh. The Lord did as Moses had said, and the frogs in the houses, courtyards, and fields died. They piled them in countless heaps, and there was a terrible odor in the land. But when Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And that is the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 8. Again, my focus today, uh, our, the focus of our meditation is on verse 16. When Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. The uh, larger context of what's happening here is, uh, of course, we've just finished the end of Genesis. Uh, Genesis where... Um, uh, the last story is of Joseph and Joseph saving his brothers and forgiving his brothers. So you have this very um, sort of Christ-like motif in Joseph. It is a it is a man who, in the text, um, again Joseph in real life surely sinned, but in the text he is seen as a sinless individual, a kind of Christ figure, and he forgives his brothers and he is uh, lifted to a uh, high position in Egypt. Um, and uh, exercises wisdom, and you have this um, this phrase that is repeated often with Joseph's life at the end of Genesis that got Israel, uh, if you remember Jacob's renaming, uh, that, that got Israel to Egypt and all of the people that were promised to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob, who becomes Israel, and then the 12 tribes that come out of his sons. The 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 phrase that is repeated about Joseph is, and the Lord was with him, and the Lord is with him. And this is um, in all of Joseph's prospering. Um, So you have this this story picture at the end of, uh, story picture, whatever that is. You um, You have this picture in the story of Joseph of an individual who undergoes unjust suffering over and over and over, and yet, all through it, recognizes that the Lord is with him, and the Lord redeems him out of it. So there is this consistency to Joseph's life in all of the suffering that he endures, 
In fact, it's it's what the scripture would call sober-mindedness. When Joseph is to an elevated position, he recognizes that the Lord is with him. So when he is sort of king over Potiphar's household and then second in command of all Egypt, um, and when he is also um, accused, wrongly accused of rape and thrown in prison, um, when his brothers abandon him into the pit and sell him into slavery, in all these positions, in all of these times, it's still the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph. So no matter high or low, you have Joseph remaining steady. So that's the picture of the person that we end Genesis with. And then when we get to Exodus, we start with the first, um, we start with this with this phrase, if you look in Exodus chapter one, um, in verse eight, says, a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. And he said to his people, look, the Israel people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further when war breaks out and they will join our enemies and fight against us. So this is the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh in scripture is the first sort of um, representative of evil that we have since Genesis chapter 3, since the serpent. So there's a pattern in the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible. Genesis 1, we get the personification of evil and the serpent, and then we get, for the rest of Genesis, we get the ways that that evil plays out into man and sort of the decline of man, and then you get the redemption of God working through Abraham and kind of the back and forth of good and evil, good and evil, good and evil. And then in Joseph, we end on a high point. Well, we start right back again with a, a forgetting of who the people of Israel are, because he didn't know Joseph, right? This Pharaoh did not know Joseph. And because he is disconnected from Joseph, the one who represented the Lord's presence, who was always with God, because he is disconnected from that, he starts to see Israel as a threat. And this Pharaoh becomes sort of the personification of Israel. I'm, uh, I'm, this is off the cuff, so I can't remember exactly, but I do think there's a, a, a connection in the Hebrew word uh, for evil, which is Ra, and and then Pharaoh, uh, which is, um, take that for what it's worth. That's a, that's a nugget. I could be wrong on that, but that's the way my, my mind remembers it. Um, anyway, um, so we get this Pharaoh. Of course, he enslaves Israel. Um, God calls um, Moses uh, up to deliver Israel with his brother Aaron. And then we get these plagues that God delivers because he brings a message through Moses, says, let my people go, all right? Um, That's in a musical somewhere. I don't know if that's the one Charlton Heston's in or not, but again, that's the way my brain remembers it. So you get the let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. And this is the second plague, which is a plague of frogs. And I just want you to notice the Pharaoh in verse 16. And I want you to notice the the juxtaposition with um, the the sort of opposite end here of who Joseph was at the end of Genesis with who this Pharaoh is. So Joseph, who was in second in command of all of Egypt, saved Egypt, was that was that non-anxious presence, was that picture of the Lord is with me whether I'm in the pit or whether I'm in a, uh, an exalted position. Joseph, who used his position um, to forgive his brothers. Joseph, he used his position to feed all of those who did not have with the wisdom that God gave him. And now you have Pharaoh who sees all of the people who don't have as a threat, right? Some, Israel's here to take something from me. Joseph into Genesis with I'm here to overflow and give. 
and this personification of evil in the Pharaoh says, uh-oh, these Israelites are going to take from us, and therefore we must protect ourselves, we must exercise power over them, we must oppress them, we must enslave them. And here comes God listening to the cries of the oppressed people of Israel. God enters, and these plagues are a way not of hurting Pharaoh, not of killing Pharaoh, um, or or the people of Egypt. These plagues are a way of waking Pharaoh up, waking Pharaoh up. So the question now that we're asking is, how will Pharaoh handle adversity compared to the way Joseph handled adversity? What will Pharaoh do when God makes it clear that he is in his presence with him? All right, so this comes... This comes through um, many plagues, and this is a pattern that we're going to read, but it, it's striking in the way that it is put here in verse 16. The, the, the frogs come. Of course, Pharaoh softens his heart. At least it appears. Yes, yes, yes. Let um, Israelites, you go worship. Do your thing. I recognize your God is real and just do it. Take the frogs away. Now, why he said tomorrow and not right now, I don't know, but um, I'm sure there's something there. In the Hebrew, that's always my answer. It's in the Hebrew. All right. But take the frogs away. To, when do you want? Moses says, when do you want it? And he says, tomorrow. All right, great, tomorrow. So the Lord does exactly what he tells Moses to tell Pharaoh that he's going to do. That all happens. And then in verse 16, when Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them. Think of the stark contrast between Pharaoh here, who at least on the surface softens his heart towards the will of God when um, he is facing difficulty in these plagues. Yet as soon as he is returned to his sort of normal state of being, which is a position of great power and laud, as soon as he has, as the scripture says here, relief, he hardens his heart. It's the opposite of Joseph. Joseph's heart was the same it was steady and steadfast. It was always sort of soft and supple in the hands of God. Um, his ground, you know, the fallow ground of his heart was always broken up and ready to be cultivated. And you see that in the way that he forgave his brother, in the way that even when he was in position of power, he was overflowing. He was giving, not holding himself. But here's Pharaoh who... When difficulty comes against him, all he is interested in is the relief. Okay, okay, God, please, please, please. Yes, 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 yes. Do whatever you want to do. Do whatever. Just give me relief. And then when he gets the relief, story changes. Oh, your God can't possibly be the, be more powerful than my God. Your 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 God cannot possibly satisfy the needs of Pharaoh because Pharaoh, I, I myself am a God. Like is is sort of the way they looked at the Pharaoh. So here is what I want you to notice. One is that Joseph, of course, was a picture of the coming Christ. Joseph was a Christ figure. Pharaoh is a picture of the snake in the garden, the embodiment of evil from Genesis 3. And now in our moment of meditation today, I want you to ask, God, who do I embody? Who do I show off as it concerns adversity in my life? 
Am I a picture of the Christ that has come and sacrificed and died and given up his rights and laid down, limited himself, suffered in our place, resurrected to new life, overflowed the goodness of our Trinitarian God living in perfect communion, needing nothing and yet overflowing to people that he loves and whom he has put his joy? Do you reflect that in the way that uh, you handle adversity? Or do you reflect the embodiment of evil in Pharaoh? Okay, God, okay, I'll do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. Just take this suffering away. And then God removes that from you. And it's back to, you know, living a life that says, okay, God, you might be there, but you're not really, you're not really concerned with my everyday life. Or, ah, things are back to normal. Things are back to normal. Now I get to call the shots again. There is one that shows the goodness of God And there is one that shows the evil of the accuser, the Satan, the devil. Which one do you show off? If you're anything like me, it's probably both. Um, I had a lot of things go wrong this weekend. I had a TV break and I had a plumbing issue. And um, as I was hanging a TV, you know, yelling at my wife and kids, what are you doing? Somebody come help me with this. I mean, it's like that one to think of any of that as adversity is ridiculous Two, think of the way that I can lose my stuff sometimes just because I'm inconvenienced is can be pretty ugly. And so if you're anything like me, there's probably a mix of both. But what we want to ask God to do is one. To be gracious with us today and to remind us that it is Christ It is Christ who Joseph prefigured, who sacrificed his own position, who went into the well for us, who went into the dungeon for us, who was wrongly convicted of a crime that was our own and resurrected, not to show us up, but to overflow us, to overflow to us. We are our restoration to God being his joy. Like that's, that's what we have to remember first, or you'll beat yourself up about looking like Pharaoh, looking like the snake, looking like evil. And then we want his kindness toward us, his grace toward us to move us, to transform us by his spirit to be a Joseph rather than a Pharaoh. You won't do that by willpower. You won't do that by deciding to be better. You will only do that when you are moved by the God who laid his life down for us. Or else we will just be bargainers with God, constantly asking for relief, and then when it comes, hardening our heart. The very opposite of what it means to be sober-minded, of what it means to abide in the vine, of what it means to remain in Christ, of what it means to be hidden in Christ, you know, hidden with Christ in God. And so let's now stop. And meditate and then pray. Our Father, we are too much like Pharaoh, too much of the time. We look to you in adversity and forget about you in when life is as we perceive normal. 
Certainly COVID can be an exposure of that. But Father, we long for you to transform us into the image of your son, the one that was prefigured in Joseph and the one that we thankfully get to see clearly now in the display of your love on a cross for us. Father, for City Church, for the people that are listening right now, will you transform us into those people? Will you give us a vision to see you on the cross and to see you resurrected, overflowing to us so that we can honor and glorify you by overflowing to our neighbors? Make us like Joseph by your Holy Spirit as we repent of all of our Pharaoh. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. City Church, go and multiply the gospel.